A show where two young women explain what's been going on in Australian politics this week. And where there's no such thing as a stupid question. My name is Justine Landis-Hanley. I am a Melbourne-based journalist and I used to work in politics. Oof. Well, my name is Matilda Bosley. I'm also a Melbourne-based journalist and I've never been to Canberra. Coming up on the show today, why the New South Wales government kicked former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull off a climate change board. Really unceremoniously. Yeah. Um, the government announces a summit to discuss women's safety because apparently we need those to uh, work out there's a problem. Personally, I think that's it's, it'll fix it. One summit, good. Done. Um, and finally, what changes are coming out of the Respect at Work report? Not great sign that we have two different stories about uh, sexual harassment in the workplace, but... Here we are. (laughs) After that, we'll be talking about the shit show that is the uh, Australian vaccine rollout, which was kind of pretty dysfunctional when we started writing the segment. And Mm. um, given that it's now uh, 7.30 on a Thursday night, it's just become drastically worse. Uh, Who would have thought? It's not good, but we'll get into it later. Uh, Justine, how's your week been? My week's been okay, Matilda. Um, the most exciting part of it is that I watched The Big Short on Netflix. You know that old movie is that from like five years ago? About the financial crisis? Yeah, about the financial crash, yeah, with Ryan Gosling and you're looking at me really blankly. I was just trying to remember what um, the financial crisis was caused by. I was like, was that the one in Iceland? How old were you in the financial crisis? Oh, then? my God. This Okay, we're already going off the rails. But when the financial crisis happened <laughs> in primary school, we were doing this thing where we had to watch, like, shares. They were teaching us about how shares worked. And okay. it was in – so it was 2008. So what would that be? Yeah, grade five. Um, oh, you're reminding me of my age. Okay, settle. You're two years old. <laughs> Those two years make a real difference. We had picked a bunch of shares and we were doing graphs. I think, honestly, it was like an exercise to learn about graphs. Uh-huh. And like three days into it, the financial crisis happened. <laughs> and so suddenly this unbelievably boring activity became insanely interesting but also i was pretty upset because i had drawn my graph like the y-axis of my yeah like the y-axis of my graph like very short range and then all of a sudden it dipped down like hundreds of percentiles so you, you had to, you redraw had to a graph. redo your graph some people had to rebuild their lives but you yeah. were the real woman who suffered in this situation <laughs> look it's comparative when you're 11 redoing a graph that's a lot that is a lot yeah that's a weak ruiner <laughs> Matilda, how's how's your week been? Well, better than the week of the financial crisis. I can tell you. <laughs> My week's been good. I um, have gotten back into um, the Legend of Zelda, but I'm not oh, yeah. brave enough to verse the final boss, even though I'm up to it. So I'm just doing a lot of exploring around the mountains. <laughs> okay. You and I sound very similar in our, yeah. in our gaming. Habits. I just like I don't want the finality because I feel like exploring will be less fun once I've beaten the boss. So wait, is it because you're afraid to beat the boss, or because you're just afraid for the game to end and you have to return to real life? Uh, look, it's a combination of a lot of things. <laughs> it's also that I got the master sword and now I've lost the master sword and I don't know how to get it back. Okay, um, you've lost so, me at all. Yeah, so it's it's there's a lot of stuff going on for me, but um, you know, still in a better position than the government. Ooh, ooh, what a segue. Okay. <laughs> Before we jump into the first segment, Justine, let's talk about why we're actually doing this. Absolutely. So I think we're both motivated to do this because 
Politics is an old boys club. It's full of old crusty dudes. It's talked about by old crusty dudes. And it's hard, I think, for a lot of young people, especially young women, to feel like they can understand and engage in what's going on in Australian Parliament. I mean, there's a whole language. There's just things that people will assume you know that is really not common knowledge. There's a lot of um, assumed knowledge. And it feels like there's a very high barrier to entry when you're talking about politics. And it almost feels like sometimes you just need like two little non-judgmental gals (laughs) to just kind of explain it to you with like a little bit of extra context because we were very recently the people who didn't understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. So, Matilda, this Respect at Work report has been in the news this week. What is it? Okay, before we get started, I need everyone to know that it's not Respect AT at work, it's Respect at sign work and I hate it. That's um, how you know the government's cool. Uh, it's it's not even an internet-based report. It annoys me so much. It's, so it's <laughs> like putting like five ever in your when you would like I love you five ever. It's kind of like that. Yeah, but like on the most serious possible topic. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we should actually explain it. The Respect at Work report was a governmental report that was handed down literally right before. COVID happened yeah, last year, year on the 5th of March last year, that basically the goal of it was to examine the prevalence of sexual harassment at work and then to basically these reports, what they do is essentially they make a series of recommendations to government and that might be policies that need to change, that might be actual like wording of legislation that needs to either be added or removed, that might be you need to set up a new sort of organisation within government to deal with this specifically. So they can it's, it's essentially this way for government to kind of check on how they're going with stuff and it usually happens when they're not going well. Um, so just to clarify, is this report about working in parliament or is it about work in general see this is the confusing thing because there is a separate investigation currently going on about the culture in parliament house itself so so and that that's the investigation remember the word investigation that's what they're talking about there that's actually talking about like how do politicians treat their staff and how do the staff treat each other this is from before the current sort of avalanche of scandals Um, and it is looking at all workplaces what is the prevalence of sexual harassment and the essentially when the report was handed down the word endemic was used and this was before the pandemic so it wasn't even on trend (laughs) Uh, it was just that serious so basically uh, it made a whole series of recommendations and then the government got it and then forgot about it for a full year uh there was other things going on there was a pandemic Still forgot about it. Uh, There's a lot of people in Parliament. Surely they can, like, pay attention to a few different things. Yeah, it feels like one person could have really stayed on that. So the Respect at Work report looked at sexual harassment within Australian workplaces and delivered the report to government a year ago. What were the recommendations that were made? Yeah, so it made 55 recommendations. Some of the big ones that we'll talk about are extending the amount of time victims have to come forward to the Human Rights Commission to report sexual harassment in their workplace. And the Human Rights Commission is like a legal body that will then sort of help advocate for those people. Okay. Um, it, there's recommendations that talk about like clarifying this little bit of legislation to make it 
explicitly clear that sexual harassment counts as serious misconduct in a workplace and is therefore a fireable offence. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, you know, stopping politicians and judges somehow they're like exempt from part of the sexual harassment uh, framework. And now, you know, they were saying, let's close those loopholes. But the main thing that was recommended was this thing called positive obligations. Mm-hmm. So essentially at the moment, a workplace is responsible for acting if there is sexual harassment, if a complaint's made, if they're observed that this is going going on like they have to respond to it but this would mean that not only would they have to respond to it it means that they are legally responsible for preventing sexual harassment proactively okay so workplaces previously are supposed to respond to sexual harassment claims but under these changes, under these recommendations, they're supposed to take action to prevent sexual harassment from occurring in the first place. Yes. So it's interesting that you make the distinction between the changes and the recommendations. So this report basically in large has sat sat pretty idle for a year. And now there's been somewhat of an avalanche of sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations, scandals in parliament. And all of a sudden the government's really interested in like protecting women against sexual harassment. It's crazy, crazy coincidence. Crazy. So they've Um, decided to finally talk about these recommendations. Yes, and the way the government responds to this is that they publish a response where they list which recommendations they will accept, which they will be like, nah, and which they will like kind of accept in part. And the government's like big headline today was like, we've taken the Respect at Work campaign and we've accepted all 55 recommendations in full or in part or noted some of them to be actioned by other government bodies. <laughs> so there was there was sort of a lot of um, little footnotes. And one of the big things that people have picked up on, so, you know, the loopholes about judges, the legislation being changed, the, you know, moving it from six months to 24 months that you can come forward, that all was approved. But positive obligations was noted, which is essentially the government suggesting that that actually kind of already exists in other frameworks that are already in place. Okay. Um, But, like... If we're at an endemic levels previously, some may argue that clearly the current system isn't working. So relying on that current system isn't really enough. I was going to say, if the recommendation in, in this report is that you should make this a positive obligation, surely the report has identified there's some sort of limitation with our current mechanism. So there, there is a lot of positives that have come out of today. But yes, look, there is there is some question marks over exactly what will get changed and exactly how substantive those changes will be. Oh, Justine, I'm sick of talking about women. Let's talk about men. <laughs> what better man to talk about than another former Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull? God, our Prime Ministers won't go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're not yeah. slinking off to Mar-a-Lago in, uh, <laughs> in Australia. They just stick around. They stick around. Um, this time Malcolm Turnbull's in the news because he was dumped from the head of the New South Wales government's advisory board on climate change. Get this, just a week after he was appointed. Going from prime minister to being dumped from an advisory board of a state government—it's a real fall from grace. It's a fall from a. He thought his low was when he was booted out of the prime ministership. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and here we are. So tell me, what first of all, what is this board? Okay, so the New South Wales advisory board—it's called the Zero Emissions and Clean Economy Board. Basically, the government set up this advisory board full of smart people to help work out how we can create more jobs for people in industries that don't destroy the climate like fossil fuels. And how does one get kicked out of this board? Okay, so do you want the official reason or do you want the 
back, like the read between the lines reason. Give me the official reason first. Okay. So the New South Wales State Environment Minister, Matt Keane, the reason he gave for kicking Malcolm Turnbull off the position was uh, because Malcolm was distracting from the board and what it was trying to achieve. And the reason why Malcolm Turnbull was distracting from the board and what it was trying to achieve was because he was talking very publicly about why climate change is a bad thing and we need to take action on it. Specifically, he went on ABC Radio this week and said that we need a moratorium on all new coal mines. Uh, So basically we need to stop building new coal mines because they produce a lot of fossil fuels and that's really bad for the environment and we need to start, you know, investing more into renewable energy. And that pissed off the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro. Now, the Deputy Premier, just to break it down, so Mm. when people say a Liberal government, what they actually mean is a sort of partnership between the Liberals, uh, which are kind of like small business, like... uh, Right of centre, conservative, yeah. And the Nationals, which are like farmers. Regional towns. Regional towns supporting that. And then they come together and then they make the coalition government. And then then Labor's like all one thing consistently. But the Liberal side of things, when people say liberal they actually mean a coalition between those two parties which means that the deputy leader of any liberal government is a nationals okay yeah so basically you know have you ever watched power rangers no Jesus, okay, well, this isn't going to be hard for you to understand. Oh, but God, in, wow. power, <laughs> in Power Rangers, basically, all these little, like, colourful people in suits can join together to make one powerful robot. So, basically, the Liberal Party and the National Party don't often have enough numbers, like a num- number of elected officials, to win government in any state or federal parliament. So they team up and form one super body uh, that has enough, that has the majority of elected officials so they can take government. But then what obviously happens with that, which is that you have two parties that agree on a lot of things, but then have different priorities, especially when it comes to, like, jobs in regional areas. Yes. So John Barillaro, the Deputy Premier of New South Wales, who belongs to the Nationalist Party, he came out and said Turnbull was wrong, uh, he was waging a war on the coalition, and that uh, the government had misjudged uh, Turnbull by giving him this this role, saying that, you know, New South Wales is firmly committed to the coal industry and uh, this was not going to be, like, a good partnership. So Turnbull came out this week in the media after he was booted from the role and said that he basically blamed right-wing media um, probably because they'd given all this attention to these really conservative voices within the Liberals and Nationals um, who were saying that Turnbull was wrong for the job and that the commitment to coal was strong. So that's, I mean, the official reason is kind of like, the Liberals don't want to piss off the Nationals. And the Nationals are pretty pissed off already. Yeah. So what's the unofficial reason then? So the bigger context that's playing around this is that there is a by-election happening in the Hunter Valley. And a by-election is just when a Member of Parliament steps down, not at election time, just at any random time, and then you have to hold a little mini-election to replace that seat. Yeah. So a mini-election is currently happening in the Hunter Valley, and the Hunter Valley is full of coal mines. There are 11 new proposed coal mines going on there. There's tons of existing ones. There's lots of people who work in coal. And so the Nationals' plan to win this seat, to hold on to this seat, is to come out and say, yeah, we're pro-coal, we're pro-coal miners, we're going to defend all of your jobs. And it's a really bad look to have Malcolm Turnbull, a former Liberal Prime Minister, being appointed by the Liberal National Government um, to this board uh, and saying that, oh, we hate coal, we're going to get rid of it. 
Yeah, immediately coming out very anti-coal and specifically saying, as someone from the Hunter Valley, I reckon uh, we need to get rid of coal. It's just like it, it's a bad look. For, yeah, for for their campaign strategy, because by elections are really hard to win in New South Wales, just for whatever reason, it just always historically has been. Mm. Um, yeah, they need to go hard on coal, and that's just like never really going to be viable with Malcolm Turnbull in that position. So Malcolm Turnbull. Number one, talking about how he's anti-coal, not great, like not loved by members of the Liberal and National Parties, but especially at this time, like a really bad look. Just saying, I'm sick of talking about men. I think I want to talk about women again. God, Matilda, let's just pick a lane. Um, Okay, Matilda, talk to me about the government trying to uh, make amends with the women of Australia, take action to protect women, um, to take action against violence against women. And they announced on Wednesday, didn't they, that they're going to take even further action. Yeah, so basically this is different to the Respect at Work campaign. but Different story, different story. It's same genre. Basically this all started with this idea that uh, the Queensland Premier, Anastasia, Palaszczuk, who's Labor, um, has had, had kicking around for a while and she sort of occasionally talks about it, uh, but now is the time to strike and you'll see why, uh, which is this thing called the National Women's Summit, where essentially all the women from government, like federal, state governments, all women all the time, all together, coming together to discuss gendered issues. So family violence, what more funding do we need to put towards that? Mm -hmm. What's legislation that we could make to help close the pay gap? Is now the time to have universal childcare, which means that the, you know, the the government would subsidize childcare to a much greater degree, which is something that Labor is very keen on. And is also something that people really reckon would help with the uh, whole women being paid less thing. Um, Oh, yes, that old thing. That classic little doll. Um, Uh. And basically, so it's kind of been kicking around. No one's really taken it that seriously. Then all of a sudden, what's this? A hundred million kajillion gender-based scandals in government? Sounds like the time that government can't say no to this women's summit. So then on Wednesday, Palaszczuk was like, I'm writing to the Prime Minister. I say time is now for the women's summit. And then the Prime Minister. We'll host it in Queensland. Oh, we'll host it in Queensland. Half price flights. (laughs) And then basically Scott Morris. And it's like, oh, fuck. Okay, yeah, sure. Women's conference. Women's summit. I can't say no. What am I going to do? Say no to a women's summit right now? And there was already a meeting that was happening that day amongst state, territory, and federal ministers for women, wasn't there? Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of meetings of women in government at the moment. There's the cabinet women, then the state and federal ministers for women, and now there's a summit for women. Basically, the, the idea is if we get enough women in enough rooms at the same time, Sexism ends, question mark? So when's the Women's Summit going to be happening? Oh, it's in July. Okay. Well, I guess that's an issue to watch. Yep. Keep an eye out. Set set a little phone timer for it. (laughs) Send a calendar reminder for the 29th and 30th of July. (laughs) Jocelyn, I'm sick of talking about people. Let's talk about vaccines. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're moving on to our main topic for this week. What the fuck? (laughs) has been going on with Australia's vaccine rollout. Justin, can I ask you something? Yes. Are you vaccinated? No. Are you vaccinated? Absolutely not. And maybe right now we're kind of grateful for that. Given oh, what turns we out we shouldn't have been vaccinated. <laughs> turns out that it's probably a good thing we weren't vaccinated before today. Wait, um, you're under 50. 
you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd think about a different moisturising um, routine. Babe. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes, okay. Matilda, I am under 50. Justine, this is so complicated. I'm going to pose that we break this down into five chapters. Can you ex- – okay. Okay, five <laughs> whole chapters. Tell me what those chapters are. I tried to break it down. I could have gone about 20 chapters, but we're going five. Okay. You've ri- oh, I can see you've got paper in front of you. Yes. You've written these down. <laughs> Chapter one. All eggs in the AstraZeneca basket. Okay. Um, we put all our eggs in the AstraZeneca basket. I got that from the title. Um, basically, uh, you know, mid last year, end of last year, suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, there's so many vaccines. It's all so nice and so fun. So were they? So there's Pfizer, AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca Moderna. Moderna. Johnson & Johnson came a bit later. Novavax, maybe? That's kind of Question new. mark yep. in the future. Okay. Sinovax. Okay, the Sputnik. The, wait, is that the Russian one? No, Sinovax is the Chinese one, oh, and then I think it's Sputnik. Okay, Sput- Sputnik. Sputnik. Uh, the Russian one that everyone's like, I hate the Russian one, and now everyone's like, God, wish we had the Russian one now. Oh, is it really? Uh, yeah, it turns out the Russian one's actually like pretty decent. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so about a year ago, the, we're thinking about all these vaccines. We're buying. We're buying contracts for vaccines. We're buying these. Oh, uh, the government, the federal oh, okay. government, is putting in contracts with uh, vaccine production companies. So, yep. like Pfizer and AstraZeneca, it's confusing because we call the vaccines by their brand names, but that's actually the company. That makes them. Gotcha. Um, and basically we realised that we actually have factories that kind of could transform themselves to produce the AstraZeneca vaccine because the AstraZeneca vaccine is not as hard to make as Pfizer or Moderna, which is okay. like this very complicated tech, newfangled technology. Okay. So we buy – we bought like some Pfizer. We bought about 20 million, which mm-hmm. is enough for 10 million people oh, um, because you need two doses. doses. Gotcha. We bought a bunch of AstraZeneca. I'm assuming it's cheaper. I don't really know, but it seems like it would be. And then we're transforming this factory called the CSL plant – just remember that name um, – to also produce AstraZeneca and they're like – it's a million doses a week. We're going to have AstraZeneca out the eyeballs. Out the wazoo. Literally, you couldn't go a block without being vaccinated with AstraZeneca. <laughs> it's going to be insane. And then um, – so, all- so, wait, CSL is an Australian – CSL is like a pharmaceutical production – In Australia. In Australia. Oh, okay. So, we want to become like the AstraZeneca capital of Australia. Oh, we – well, yeah, the baby. Baby, we – you – Every, you get AstraZeneca, you get AstraZeneca. That's what we were talking about before. We were so excited. And then the effectiveness um, stats start rolling in and AstraZeneca doesn't look that great. Still pretty good. So Pfizer's in like the 90s. 90s. Moderna's like somewhere up there as well. I can't remember, like 90-ish. Yeah. And then AstraZeneca's somewhere between like 63 and 80%. Oh, okay. So the government's like, oh, we may have backed the wrong horse, but we're going with it. We're really going with it. This is so good. And like AstraZeneca is still good. It actually ended up being a bit more than 60%. 60% to begin with is actually a really great vaccination effectiveness rate. Um, So it's not terrible. We're not, it's not that It's not a disaster. Okay, okay. Everyone's a little sus on it. It's not a disaster. Then um, chapter two, ch- chapter two, the rollout begins. Okay, so the rollout commences in Australia. The rollout starts. We're gonna vaccinate frontline workers and uh, people in aged care homes, mm-hmm. and it's meant to be real quick. Like it's not that many people. It's all Pfizer, so you can get it like three weeks afterwards. The first Pfizer um, doses arrive like a few months later than every other country, but still, it's all right. We'll it's get okay. it done We've quick. We've got our Pfizer. How much Pfizer did we have? Um. All up, we have 20 million doses. We've got about 
one million so okay, far. So about a million arrived. So we're already starting to see the cracks in like, oh, wow, the uh, the vaccines aren't arriving like we thought they were going to arrive. And America's started vaccinating like two months ago. And now we've got like the pictures of Scott Morrison okay. getting the first one. It's okay. We, we've got we, Pfizer. We we're will giving catch it to up. people. And yeah. also they've promised that four million people will be vaccinated by the end of March and everyone will be vaccinated by October. Excellent. Great. But then we hit another problem. We're not getting as much AstraZeneca vaccinations as we thought we were going to get. We're not getting them as much as of anything as we thought we were going to get. Suddenly, we're at the end of March and we were nowhere near the number of people that we were hoping to get vaccinated. So we thought it was going to be 4 million. But Health Minister Greg Hunt came out this Wednesday and said, actually, at this point, we're only around the 900,000 mark. Oh, by the end of March, we were at 500,000. We were at an eighth of what we said we were going to get done. Okay. Which brings us to chapter three, the blame game, states versus the feds. Okay. So, Matilda, I have the question that probably everyone else is thinking right now. Why has the rollout not gone as quickly as we thought? Oh, good question. And it depends who you ask. Okay. <laughs> so, basically, the feds have been trying to offer a number of reasons why the roller hasn't gone as fast. And one of the ways they did that was allegedly leak the numbers of vaccines that the states had completed to mm-hmm. the media to be published. And what ends up coming out is it, it looks like, oh, my God, Western Australia's only given out half of the vaccines that they've uh, delivered. New South Wales only given out half of the vaccines. Oh, wow, we've been giving all these vaccines to states and they haven't been giving them out. Wait, That's so why it's slow. Why haven't the states been giving out half their vaccines? It's a good question. I'm going to answer one question before that. How many of the vaccines are the states actually responsible for? Not very many. It's So it was this sort of distraction where people were like, oh, my God, the states haven't been putting them out. But actually the states are only responsible for a tiny, tiny percentage of the vaccines that do roll out. So they basically just have to vaccinate all the people that are employed by the state. So like healthcare workers and things like that. Right. Um, Who's responsible for everyone else? Uh, the federal government. And like directly responsible. It's not like they give it to the states and then the states give it out. No, they like the federal government is hiring teams to come in to vaccinate aged care residents and such like and set up facilities. Gotcha. So the state – but. Then the states are like, first of all, we're not our job, not mostly our job. (laughs) So even if we were very behind, um, wouldn't account for everything. Mm. Um, And secondly, they say why they were holding back in the vaccines is that they weren't confident that the federal government would be able to deliver the second dose. So essentially, if you Mm. wait too long between doses, the effectiveness goes down. You have to be able to if you get Pfizer three weeks later, you better be getting Pfizer again. Yeah. So getting AstraZeneca, uh, it's like two months later, three months, three months. Yeah, you've got to be getting AstraZeneca. again. So they've been holding it back, half of them back to ensure because they don't have trust in the federal government. The problem is the federal government doesn't have trust in the overseas suppliers so they've been holding half of it back so if you have the federal government holding half back sending that half to the states then that state's holding the half back you end up with like a quarter of the vaccines going out it's very unclear how prevalent this actually was this like double hoarding yeah but um (laughs) basically the states were like um if we knew when the vaccines were coming and we could trust that you're going to give them to us we wouldn't be hoarding and then the federal government's like dudes we've got it covered even if we couldn't send it to you we just send you some from the backup piles yeah so they but they got furious at each other they were like saying like if we've done this wrong we deserve an uppercut and then this other guy's like oh well you have done it wrong so we will get an uppercut and i'm speaking in like a kind of like laddie voice but this is like our elected officials they literally said uppercut no they literally yeah there was there was talks there was talks of there was talks of punching (laughs) brad hazard so like we were just talking about the new south wales liberal government like 
the New South Wales are run by the Liberals coalition as well as the federal government. So they're usually really chummy. Like yeah. they love each other. And then Gladys, uh, Gladys Berry Jekyll the premier of the New South Wales and the health minister, Brad Hazard, got up and they're like, absolutely the fuck not. This is not our <laughs> fault. In fact, we've given out more than the federal government even had. You- we're only responsible. In fact, we're doing so well that after we're done with our responsibility, we'll give out your vaccines as well. It was... Yeah, they're literally Rough. building a vaccine facility so they can give out the federal, they can help the federal government give their vaccines Which, out. Which, since things have now calmed down, the federal government's like, okay, we'll take your vaccine facility. But like, that's got to hurt. <laughs> yeah, like, that's quite a low the, blow. Oh my gosh. And Victoria's doing a similar thing. And all the state ministers are coming up and they're like sauntering up to the mic and they're like, don't worry, guys, the states will fix this. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, states to are, the rescue. They're rubbing it in. Um, this brings us to Chapter 4. Mm. The battle goes global, the EU versus the feds. Okay, so I can take the mic on this one. Please, please, <laughs> please. take the mic. Um, so Scott Morrison came out on Tuesday this week and said, look, look, guys, so the real people to blame here are the overseas suppliers. So... He said that we Australia is supposed to receive 3.8 million doses of AstraZeneca from early 2021 from its European manufacturers. Mm. Um, it only received around about 700,000. So there's 3.1 million missing doses of AstraZeneca that Scott Morrison was saying was stuck overseas. And now we need to explain why it's stuck. Yeah, and he, uh, I think the exact words were the issue with the Australian vaccine rollout is supply pure and simple, which we've already established. Bit of distribution issues. There's a few other issues. People aren't talking. (laughs) Granted, mainly supply. Mainly supply. A few other issues as well. So why is there a supply issue? So it's good to, it's important to understand that AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca's manufacturing hubs are throughout Europe. And these ones that we were buying overseas were meant to get us over the hump until our AstraZeneca manufacturing hub got off the ground. Took off to the millions (laughs) until we became the AstraZeneca manufacturing capital. So a lot of these vaccines are being manufactured in countries like Belgium and Germany and Italy. And we started to see the, the cracks in the system around about a month ago when news reports came out that Italy was preventing AstraZeneca from shipping around about 200,000 vaccines that Australia had ordered from the Italian manufacturing hub to Australia. And the reason for this was because they said AstraZeneca wasn't providing them with all the vaccines that the Italian government had ordered, that they were behind on that order. Which that sounds kind of selfish, but also in the same breath, we're like, we're going to produce AstraZeneca for Australia and like haven't really been like, and then we'll give it to everyone else. Like, so we're... in, this, in, our, in, in, fairness, the, in fairness, we'd do the same. Yeah, in fairness, in fairness, it's not really like a reciprocal relationship there. Also, in fairness, Italy has been really hard hit by the pandemic. I can see why Italy would be like, no, fuck you, Australia. We and, get the vaccines first. And literally, Scott Morrison starts like every speech and press conference rubbing in how great Australia has <laughs> yeah. done with the we pandemic. We have done great. In fairness to Scott Morrison, we're doing pretty we're well. We're doing pretty well. So the European Commission created this rule um, when the vaccine rollout started happening, um, basically saying that all these companies that were manufacturing in Europe, they had to apply for permission um, to ship their vaccines out of out of Europe. And the reason they said they would do this was because of transparency. But we're starting to see back in March, oh, maybe there's like a downside to this um, when Italy was like, ho, 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 hold on. We're not going to let you ship these vaccines out to your other country until you start like giving up the goods now. Italy's kind of like the, the mafia, intimidating mafia boss in this situation being That like, is a stereotype. <laughs> 
Okay, maybe that is a stereotype. I didn't mean for that to be a stereotype. Wow. Wow, Justine. Oh. <laughs> um, but basically, David Littleproud, who's like, uh, he's in the government, he's a nationals guy, he's he's a minister, yeah. um, came out and was like, we had three million doses, the EU blocked it. And he very specifically said the words, the EU blocked it. Yeah. And then Scott Morrison came up and he's like, there's 3.1 million doses that haven't arrived that we did order from overseas, but they aren't there. But he Question stopped, marks. He stopped short of actually saying the EU blocked it. But, like, because people people took that assumption from it. And that's big. And, and the reason he probably stopped short of saying that was because the EU came out. That night. That night and said, no, no, we haven't blocked anything. We've literally, I've never heard the word blocked. I wouldn't <laughs> even know it. They did say like, we've blocked, there's only been one thing blocked and that was that 250. In Italy. Yeah. yeah. And so then. Sorry about that. So, yeah. oh, I mean, whoopsies, but like literally we haven't blocked it. Um, and then everyone's like, wait a second. So is the federal government just like straight up lying? That like that. I mean, no, it's, I, it's a pretty big that lie. That would be a pretty bold lie <laughs> to pretty just make up. And uh, it turns out it was kind of the EU that was the sneaky ones. Yes. So they technically hadn't blocked any other applications, but they had kind of shaken down AstraZeneca and said, look, we're not – if you do apply to um, – ship these vaccines out to Australia, we are going to block them. So they kind of gave no choice. Yeah. So AstraZeneca hadn't bothered to apply because I knew what the answer was going to be essentially. Yeah. And so that's so, and so 3.1 million doses are just not here. Not here. And that brings us to chapter, chapter five. five. The feds versus the vaccine? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> so if you've been thinking now, gosh, we're really talking about AstraZeneca. We're like, we're going to get our 3 million doses back. We're going to have our CSL plant be producing 1 million vaccinations. We're going to do this, guys. AstraZeneca. 1 million doses a week coming out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so basically up until this point, the government has been like, you know what? AstraZeneca, not the most effective, but it's okay. You and know, it, AstraZeneca, not enough doses in Australia, but it's okay. It's keep okay. The, the rollout has been slow at the start. Guess what? AstraZeneca's, the AstraZeneca dam walls are about to bust and then we're going to have so much vaccine. Yeah. And then. And then tonight. Oopsies. Thursday night. Um, suddenly there's a bunch of reports about a very specific type of blood clotting called low platelet blood clotting. Don't ask me what that means. Don't know. We're not doctors. It's a specific type of blood clotting. That's all I know. Um, coming out in like the five to ten days after younger people have been vaccinated with AstraZeneca. And by younger people, we mean people under the age of 50, roughly. Under 50, under 40. Yeah. yeah. It's And this is like not a type of blood clotting that's particularly common. So it's a little bit people are like, oh, better have a look at it. Because like normally if you have like, oh, 20 people have died after taking the vaccine, it's sort of like, well, yeah, if you're vaccinating a million people. People are going to die anyway. People are going to be so dying that day anyway. It might be. A, that, might that's, like so a, that's so harsh. That's so harsh. That's so harsh. But not. Okay. Basically it became where it was a statistical anomaly. And the people who were getting blood clotting, isn't it that 25% of those people were dying? Oh, uh, so there was 89 cases in Europe and I think 18 were fatal. So what's that? Yeah, it's serious if you get it. Like, it's not brilliant. Um, but also, just to be clear, 89 people out of 25 million people in Europe who have currently got the AstraZeneca vaccine. We're talking a percentage of a percentage of a percentage of a percentage. Um, and then, but the thing is, then the EU came out, like, Thursday morning and said... 
we're going to put an advisory on uh, AstraZeneca. We're going to say that these blood clotting is an extremely rare but possible side effect. And then the EU took that and they're like, okay, well, we're going to recommend that since this seems to be affecting people under 40 that or under 50, that younger people get a different vaccine, not the AstraZeneca. Like, yeah. in an ideal world, younger people won't have that. And so everyone's like, um... Uh, Australia's only got the AstraZeneca. <laughs> <laughs> so all eyes are on the Australian government. And Scott Morrison suddenly calls a press conference at 7.15pm yeah, so, on Thursday night. <laughs> so all day Thursday we have the TGA, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration, which basically approves all the drugs that like are allowed to be used in Australia. And we have the... We have AGATI, which is the Australian Technical Group for Immunisation, who are basically... It's like the TGA, but just for immunisation, right? It's, it's like the government's authority that's continuously reviewing immunization and vaccination particularly with respect to the, oh, to the covid seems like they've got a lot more busy this they've, had last a really, year. they've had a really big first day <laughs> they were coasting on bloody smallpox they're like we've solved all the diseases <laughs> for like COVID 20 comes years along, and then thursday comes along they're like, and they're like a oh. new vaccine <laughs> thursday not since hpv <laughs> Thursday comes all this Thursday came along and they're like, okay, guys, we can't take a lunch break. I'm sorry. We have to deal with a global crisis. We're going to have to come in on Fridays with this. <laughs> it's it's going to be a late one, boys. Um, so they, so Scott Morrison is like, don't worry, guys. They're all looking into this. It's going to be okay. They're going to. And also he's like, do you know how rare this is? It's super rare, which is valid. He's like, it's super rare. And then he's like, birth control is way more dangerous, essentially. He's like, the chances of blood clotting on thrombosis for this specific worse. type of body. Take blood, blood, blood control women, all the time. I've talked to Jenny about it. And it's like, mm, let's park that because that seems like something we should look into. But, <laughs> let's but, just park that concern. But the evening rolls around and suddenly Scott Morrison has a press conference at 7.15pm and he says that in light of all this new evidence of the risks of blood clotting associated with AstraZeneca, the government would be issuing some new rules around who can take AstraZeneca in Australia. But they were very unclear about it. It was very confusing. So let's break it down. Okay. So they said out of an abundance of caution, we're going to put an advisory on the AstraZeneca vaccine. What does that mean? Okay. So there are three rules. The first rule is that if you're under the age of 50 and you haven't had the AstraZeneca vaccine, you should not have the AstraZeneca vaccine unless a doctor deems that the risks of taking the vaccine outweigh the risks of, you know, you getting COVID. The second point that is if you're under 50, the preferred vaccine for you to have is the Pfizer vaccine. Ah, the Pfizer that we notoriously have so many doses of. Oh, so many. And then the third point is that if you actually are under 50 and you have had the first AstraZeneca vaccine and you haven't had any side effects, then you should have the second. Um, because once you've had one, if you're fine, you're fine, essentially. So the question then is how the fuck is this going to fuck up further <laughs> vaccine rollout? Which, okay, so basically the stage of the rollout that we're at at the moment is that it's a lot of um, – we're in 1B, so it's a lot of, like, emergency service workers. So it's, like, it's a lot of people, like, over 70 as well. They're fine. They can keep getting the AstraZeneca. Great. In fact, more AstraZeneca for them. They'll Ooh, get it quicker. So much AstraZeneca. All these emergency service workers, all these people with maybe pre-existing conditions who are under 50, there's, there's a lot of people now who were about to get the AstraZeneca vaccine, maybe even had appointments, and now don't really know if they're meant to get it or not. And also... There's no sense of when these Pfizer vaccines are coming. So what the government admitted tonight is that this is probably going to delay things a bit. It's going to, yeah, it's going to delay things a lot because essentially now, okay, Pfizer will keep trickling in, but kind of what we're now all looking to the future towards is Novavax, which is like yet another vaccine that's like 
not quite done being like approved officially and having all its tests done and manufacturing still needs to ramp up. So essentially everyone's like Novavax seems great, but it will come at like the towards the end of this year. And now they're like, guys, we have 58 million doses of Novavax coming. It's no drama. We'll get you all then. But it's, and it's like, it, it used to be everyone getting vaccinated by October. Suddenly it was everyone getting their first dose by October. I think we can pretty safely say that that's unlikely now. So to recap, chapter one, we order a shit ton of AstraZeneca. Chapter two, both the AstraZeneca and the Pfizer not coming as fast as we thought they were going to. Chapter three, the government says that it's the state's fault that we're not getting vaccines out fast enough. But then the states say, look, we're just withholding a bunch of vaccines because we don't trust the government that you're going to do your job. Chapter four, the government says that it's the EU's fault for the supply because they're blocking it. They say they're not. They kind of are. It's a bit back and forth, kind of justified in the end. And then chapter five, it turns out AstraZeneca is not actually a suitable vaccine for people under the age of 50. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time fighting for AstraZeneca only for it. And by by the way, the difference between chapter four and chapter five is one day. <laughs> so like, I think we need to make this clear. Chapter four was Wednesday. Chapter, chapter five, five is Thursday night. night. <laughs> it's a fast we, moving train. Lit, literally this morning, people in the press conference were like, why isn't CSL producing enough AstraZeneca and yet? And Thursday and night, we're like, like, oh. Excuse uh. me, why wasn't CSL producing so much AstraZeneca? <laughs> yeah, we're so. Like, laughing because we're not getting fucking vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, we're laughing because it's not going to happen. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, if you have any silly questions still lingering, please send them to us on Instagram at oldboysclubpod or on Twitter. Oldboysclubpod. Or email question mark do we have one we at, do at it's, it's on oldboysclubpod at gmail.com wow how convenient <laughs> one for all and all for one well look justine it's been a pleasure recording with you i wonder who um is going to be stopping us from getting vaccinated next week <laughs> oh, oh god our theme music is by the incredible Alexis Weaver. Our show is produced by Anthony Furchi and Alex Tai. Mixing and editing by Alex Tai. I'm Justine Landis-Hanley. I'm Matilda Bosley. And this is, is Old, Old Boys, Boys Club. Club. It's a podcast. <laughs>